to our, our lesson this morning, I do want to remind everybody as it's on the screen up there about our First Steps Parenting Seminar that begins this next Sunday. So next Sunday we'll come on here at 9.45 a.m. for the first session. Um, in lieu of the normal adult Bible class, we'll have our first session of that. The normal kids' classes will still be going on. Then during uh, the worship hour, our lesson will be brought to us by Brother Wayne Roberts as he deals with a topic relating to um, that seminar. We're going to have a potluck lunch together, and so bring lots of food for that. And then we'll have about three or four sessions there in the afternoon till about 3.30 where we'll break down the topics that are assigned. Um, Tammy, for a couple of sessions, will take the ladies and they'll be in the fellowship hall. The guys will be in here with Wayne, and there will also be some combined sessions too. Invite lots of people. A lot of people have questions about parenting. What does the Bible say about how I can build my home the way that God would have me to do it? So be here for that seminar, even if you're not a parent, but this would still be good to learn what God's Word has to say so that you could encourage other parents. You know, um, parents need a big support group, so having other people on their team that have similar understanding of Scripture will definitely be beneficial. There's flyers in the foyer you can invite people to this event. It's also on all of our social media pages as well as our website. So be here next Sunday for that seminar, bring food for the potluck, and stick around that afternoon. And then remember, we're also not going to have 6 p.m. services um, next Sunday. We're delving into the last um, Sunday we did, as well as this week and then two weeks from now. We've been trying to explain the Holy Spirit. Now, I will tell you right off the bat that that is a daunting task. How do you explain, you know, the third person of the Godhead? How do you explain God? How do you wrap your mind around God or, or comprehend Him and, and everything that He can do? Now, that is a, an impossibility. But what we can do is we can allow God's Word to speak to us. We can go through Scripture. We can quote verses. We can try to explain and understand passages with a better understanding then of the topic at hand. So as we looked at last week, we began to try to explain the Holy Spirit, and we're going to continue this week, and then um, in two weeks after the marriage seminar, we'll pick up where we left off. But kind of by way of review, we begun our discussion about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. If we're going to look at a, a biblical topic, let's start from the beginning and work our way to the end, right? Well, the Bible begins right off the bat in the first two verses of Scripture with God creating the heavens and the earth, and then the Holy Spirit, it talks about how the Spirit is soaring or hovering or brooding over the face of that new creation. We saw the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament as that creative, life-giving force of God. He's the one that, that helps man become a living being. He's the one that protects and looks out for that new creation. We go on in the Old Testament and we observe that the Holy Spirit is often a source of empowerment for God's people. When Samson is able to do some mighty feats, it's by the Spirit of God that he's empowered to do that. When David pens many psalms, it is by the Holy Spirit that he is able to do those things. But the Holy Spirit is also evidence of God's favor. One doesn't have the Holy Spirit if they're not in a right relationship with God. That's why in Psalm 51, David, when he's being convicted of his sin, he says, take not your Holy Spirit from me. The Holy Spirit is evidence of God's favor, and the Spirit not being there is evidence that one is not right with God. We also saw in the Old Testament that the Holy Spirit is the great revealer of God's Word. Whether that be written 
like, you know, the, um, you know maybe uh, Moses being guided to write down the words of God or, or David in the Psalms or Solomon, but he's also the revealer of God's word through prophetic word. When a prophet would go out and speak to the people, not all their prophecies were written down. But even then, when they would speak God's word, that was from the Holy Spirit that they spoke. You know, the Hebrew writer will later talk about the same idea. That holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that guided and revealed and empowered those prophets in the Old Testament. And the Old Testament kind of ends with a promise of a future coming of the Spirit. In Joel 2, verse 28, it says, It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And he repeats that same idea again, that he's going to pour out his Spirit. And in verse 32, it says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Old Testament ends with this idea that although the Spirit might be seen as not being around for some time, there's going to be a time when the Spirit is going to be poured out on all flesh, and it's going to be on that occasion that salvation is going to be made available. Now, as the Old Testament comes to a close, then we're left wondering, when's that going to be? When's that future time when the Holy Spirit's going to come? When's that time when all flesh are going to have that opportunity? When's that time when all people, Jew, Gentile, young, old, are going to be able to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. With that then in our study of the Holy Spirit, we continue into the New Testament. And this morning I want us to look at just two books of the New Testament. We're going to look at the book of Luke, and we're going to look at the book of Acts. And in fact, they're really kind of a two-parter is what they are. Many scholars look at them as Luke-Acts, as, as a two-volume, one-book that tells the story of, of the coming of Jesus to His death, burial, and resurrection, to His ascension, and then to the establishment of the church. Both written by the same authors, mind you. Acts and Luke are both written by Luke. So as we go into the Gospel of Luke, Luke wants us to understand that the Spirit has now arrived. Joel leaves us with that prophecy of one day, you know, He's coming on all flesh. Luke wants us to realize that that time is now. In fact, right off the bat, in chapter 1, verse 15 of the Gospel of Luke, you have that revealing uh, that John the Baptist is coming and, and how his parents are going to be blessed with a child who's going to be a prophet of God. In fact, in Luke chapter 1, verse 15, here's what's revealed to the parents of John the Baptist. It is for he will be great before the Lord. And he will must not drink wine or strong drink. There's a vow that he's partaking in there. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Chapter 1 of the Gospel of Luke. Luke says, hey, here comes somebody who's filled with the Spirit. The child within Elizabeth's womb, John the Baptist, baptizer as he later will be known as, is going to be is filled with the Holy Spirit. So much so, mind you, that when Mary arrives later on in that same chapter, the baby inside Elizabeth's womb leaps at the presence of the unborn Jesus. Why? Because Elizabeth there is filled with the Holy Spirit. i also like to point out that one of the first ones there to recognize the Messiah was the unborn. But you also see 
that that unborn child there is filled with the Holy Spirit. Luke wants to catch our attention. Luke wants us to take notice of the fact that the Spirit is already working again in the world. As you go on to Luke chapter 2, we're introduced to a character in Scripture that we don't spend a lot of time talking about. But it's a man by the name of, of Simeon. Simeon is a righteous man. He's a devout man waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the text tells us that the Holy Spirit was on him. Now what all that means, we don't fully understand, but the Holy Spirit reveals something to him. The Holy Spirit, the great revealer, revealed to Simeon that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. And moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple, and at that time, what happens? The parents of Jesus bring him there into the court. And Simeon takes that child into his arms. And he praises God. The Spirit revealed a truth to Simeon. And Simeon gets to see that truth fulfilled in the coming of Jesus. Chapter 1, chapter 2 of the book of Luke. Luke says, hey, you know the Spirit that you've all been looking for? Wow, look what he's doing. He's, he's empowering even infants in the womb to recognize the Messiah. And He's also empowering elderly men from the youngest to the oldest now. Sons and daughters, right? The idea you have a prophetess in that same passage are being now empowered by that Holy Spirit. And it's resulting in the revealing of the Messiah and people praising God. We go on to Luke chapter 3. In Luke chapter 3, Jesus now is an adult. And Jesus goes to John the baptizer to be baptized. And we have multiple passages that reference this event. And when Jesus is baptized, you have the heavens opened up and the Holy Spirit coming down upon Jesus like a dove coming down. Not that the Spirit was a dove, but the coming down of the Spirit like, like the, the fluttering down of a dove. And when that happens, a voice out of heaven says, You are My Son. Whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, you have the Holy Spirit working and pointing people toward who? Every time, Jesus. And now the Spirit is coming down upon Jesus Himself. And a voice saying, this is My Son. The Holy Spirit revealing who the Messiah is. You go on to chapter 4, Jesus as an adult, is there in the synagogue reading from a scroll. It was the custom that different people would take turns reading. Jesus chooses to read from Isaiah in the presence of all the people. And in verse 18 of chapter 4, here's what Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, reads. He reads a passage from Isaiah that says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim liberty or the good news to proclaim good news to the poor to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering sight to the blind to set at liberty all those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the lord's favor the spirit is on jesus the spirit appoints jesus to preach that message that jesus preached chapter one chapter two chapter three chapter four of the Gospel of Luke, all show that the Spirit is that great revealer of the coming 
and the revival of Jesus. He's saying, look, you've been looking for the Messiah. Here He is. And the Spirit is the proof that Jesus is from God. No one else has the Spirit coming down upon Him like that as Jesus did when He is baptized. No one else has that voice out of heaven saying, this is My Son in whom I'm pleased. Only Jesus has that Spirit at that time come upon Him. And that Spirit is that source of empowerment throughout Jesus' ministry. The miracles, the wonders, the signs that Jesus performed in some way, and I don't know how the Father, Son, and the Spirit all interact. I don't comprehend that, and I don't think we can fully. But it is through the Spirit by which so many of these mighty events take place. In fact, in other passages of Scripture, when people reject the miracles that Jesus is performing, they're said to blaspheme the Spirit. It is the Spirit working there through Jesus. The Spirit appointed and empowered Jesus' ministry. He revealed that He is the Messiah and He empowered His work throughout His time here on earth. Now as we continue then through this journey of Luke and Acts, we go from the book of Luke then into that second part of that two-volume set, the book of Acts. And just like the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, Acts begins with a promise of the Spirit. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus now has already died. He was buried. He rose from the grave. And this is right before He ascends to heaven to wait His final return. He meets with His apostles. And He gives them specific instructions And the specific instructions, similar to at the end of the Gospel of Luke, involve waiting for power from God. Specifically, look what Jesus, the Son of God, tells them. It says, while staying with them, He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which He said, you heard from Me, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jesus was baptized by John in the water. But Jesus also had then the Spirit come upon Him. An immersion of that Spirit. A covering of that Spirit. Jesus says, just like how John covered you with water, you wait right here, apostles, and you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You're going to be covered by, immersed in that Spirit. So the apostles were promised by Jesus to receive the same Spirit that Jesus received. In fact, they're receiving it in kind of the same way as Jesus received that Spirit. The Spirit comes down directly upon Jesus at His baptism. And Jesus tells His apostles, wait right here, Because it's going to happen to you too. And it does. You go on to the next chapter. Acts chapter 2 verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. They listened to Jesus. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, and appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues or other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. And we talk about all the different people that saw this event. 
taking place. But Jesus promised. He said, hey, that spirit that I receive, you wait right here and you will get it too. And they did. The promise was fulfilled. And they get up there and they begin to preach. And what's neat is when Peter begins to preach before the crowd in Pentecost, they all saw what was happening. People saw, heard the commotion. The Spirit didn't come on them silently when it happened. Now they're able to speak in different languages that they didn't previously know. Medes and Persians and so on are hearing their language. And people are confused by the commotion. And Peter gets up and begins to preach. And Peter says, let me tell you what is going on. What is going on right now, Peter says, is what we've all been waiting for. That prophecy in Joel chapter 2 is being fulfilled. He quotes it. Verses 17 and onward through verse 21, he's quoting Joel chapter 2. The chapter that we said that kind of the the theology of the Spirit of the Old Testament kind of ends upon, that one day He's coming again. Peter says, here He is. It's happening. He says, verse 18, Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, on these days I will pour forth of my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. And He goes on, verse 21, And it shall be that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter says, you've been waiting for this moment. We all have. It's happening right now. And empowered by that same Spirit, Peter continues to preach to them. And he tells them about Jesus and that Jesus was the Messiah. He was the Son of God. And that they killed Him. And the people were cut to the heart by that message. And they cried out in verse 37, what shall we do? And Peter tells them something. And he mentions the Spirit and what he tells them. After they were cut to the heart by the message that was revealed by the Spirit, Peter then says, Repent, and each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So you have the Spirit coming directly upon the apostles. And the Holy Spirit is empowering them and revealing God's Word to them. And Peter preaches about the Spirit to the crowd. The crowd asks, what do we do now? Peter says, repent and be baptized. You'll get your sins taken care of. And he mentions, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now I know there's all sorts of questions we have about that. We're going to talk more about the Spirit. But think about if you were standing in that audience at that time. You just heard Peter tell everyone that what was going on was the fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel that the Spirit is now going to be offered to all flesh. And when Peter mentions that you can get the Holy Spirit too, you would think, you know what? It's probably something to do with that same Spirit. And I think what you begin to see in the book of Acts is that the same Spirit, although He operates differently, and we'll talk more about how He operated on Jesus, how He operated on the apostles, and how He operates on the believer. We're going to talk about that. But... It's all from that same Spirit. That same Spirit that's in the Old Testament, the same Spirit that came upon Jesus, that same Spirit that the apostles received, Peter says, is available to you too. What a great promise. That it's not exclusionary. Because when you look in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was a sign of God's favor. 
If you didn't have the Spirit, if Israel lost the Spirit, they were no longer faithful to God. When David says, take not your Holy Spirit from me, he's contemplating the fact that he's not faithful to God. He says, you come to God and believe and obey, repent and be baptized. You'll receive that same Spirit. You go on in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 5, verse 32, you have a statement that is made. It says, we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey Him. The evidence of the fact that the apostles had the Spirit was proof that they were obedient to God. And the fact that we receive the Spirit today, maybe not like the apostles, but the fact that we receive that same Spirit is evidence of our salvation too. That's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1 when he mentions us being sealed with that promise of the Spirit. One point that you see throughout the book of Acts is that all obedient believers receive that same Spirit. There's one Spirit, the Bible tells us. Now, He works in multitude of different ways, but that one Spirit is given to all obedient believers. Now, I, I say it again just in case you're wondering, what, are you promoting some strange idea, Cliff? That doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit works the same in all people. The Holy Spirit did not work the same way in Jesus as He did in the apostles, did He? Absolutely not. The Holy Spirit operating in Jesus was not the exact same way as He operated in the apostles. Now, was there overlap? Of course there was. Was there some general truths there about them? Absolutely. But the way the Holy Spirit operated in Jesus was different from the apostles, although they received Him in the same way. And how the Holy Spirit worked in the apostles was different from normal baptized believers. I don't have the ability the apostles have. I can't do what they did. They had some special empowerment. I also can't do what Samson did. I also can't do what David did. I also can't have the knowledge of Solomon, right? I don't have all that. But it doesn't mean I don't have the Spirit. As you go on in Acts chapter 2, after Peter tells him in verse 38 to repent and be baptized, we find out that a lot of them did. And I think the reason they did is because verse 39 he says, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord God will call to Himself. Remember the all flesh that the Spirit was promised to? Here you have it. Again, being promised. And Peter keeps preaching, verse 40. Verse 41, it says about 3,000 souls were baptized on that day. But it doesn't mean that they had the same abilities as the apostles. In verse 42, it says, And they continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. The Holy Spirit empowered the apostles directly to know exactly what to say. John 16 gave them a promise of that. But those who were baptized in Acts chapter 2, they devoted themselves to study. They devoted themselves to prayer. They met together and worshipped together. They didn't go out like the apostles did doing miracles and wonders and signs. They didn't go out there speaking it in languages they didn't previously know. No, they didn't have that ability. But they still had the Spirit. But as we go on throughout the book of Acts, a lot of emphasis is given on the supernatural side of the Spirit. And you do have the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts empowering some people to do supernatural things, like the apostles did. 
Well, when the Holy Spirit is poured out directly upon people, which from what I see in Scripture, that only happened three times. It happened with Jesus, it happened with the apostles, and it happened with Cornelius. When that happens, you have some supernatural things happening. Like the speaking of, uh, of tongues or different languages, like it did with the apostles and with Cornelius. Other times, you have supernatural abilities being passed on through the laying on of those who had those abilities, the apostles. The apostles in Acts chapter 8 were able to lay their hands on a believer and pass on supernatural, as we might say. And by the way, I don't like that term because anytime God is working, I believe it's supernatural, but you know what I mean. So he would pass on those supernatural abilities to the um, believers that were going to receive it. But at the same time, not everybody had abilities to do what we would call miracles. Not everybody could do that. Just because they had the Spirit when they were baptized does not mean they have the ability to do these things that are outside of the realm of, of natural law. But as we go on throughout the book of Acts, believers are said to be full of the Spirit. So all of us, I know that's a phrase that we don't normally say, but it's biblical to look at a Christian who's following God, who's following the Spirit, and say that person is full of the Holy Spirit. Let's read on. Acts chapter 6, verse 3. Now you have a situation going on where the apostles are, are needing to be engaged in some really purposeful ministry. And they're spending time doing, um, taking care of the widows in the area there. And what they need to do is appoint people to take care of the widows. It, it's a practical ministerial role. So the apostles get together. And here's what they do in verse 3. They have a selection criteria. And look what's on their criteria of who we're going to pick to take care of the widows. He says, Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, that we, that we may put in charge of this task, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And then you go on. One of the first guys they pick is Stephen. Verse 5, they pick a man named Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. So Stephen is described as being a person who's full of the Holy Spirit. That's why they picked him. Again, we don't normally use that terminology, but I bet you there's certain people that we go, that's a good person to put in charge of that ministry. It's probably because that person, as we might say, is full of the Holy Spirit. Doesn't mean that they're supernaturally empowered, or that they're going to you know, walk on water like Jesus or anything like that. But it does mean that everything about them is in alignment with the Spirit's will. And as you go on, notice, by the way, Stephen is said to be full of the Holy Spirit before the apostles laid their hands on him. Look at verse 6. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying they laid their hands upon them. Then verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace, power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. Prior to having the Spirit or the apostles lay their hands on him, he's already said to be full of the Holy Spirit. But it's not till after the apostles lay their hands on him that he's able to do wonders and signs. I think there's a difference between being full of the Holy Spirit and being able to perform wonders and signs. I believe believers today can be said of being full of the Holy Spirit, but I think it's with since we don't have the laying on of the apostles' hands, we don't have those wonders and powers and signs anymore. 
We go on, though, throughout the book of Acts, you find the Holy Spirit comforting the church. In Acts chapter 9, verse 31, you have the Holy Spirit guiding Paul, like he keeps Paul from going to a certain place in Acts chapter 15, but yet in Acts chapter 10, the Holy Spirit tells Peter to go over there. The Holy Spirit also is said to appoint elders in Acts chapter 20, in verse 28, over and over again throughout the book of Luke and throughout the book of Acts, you find the Holy Spirit working, and He's doing a lot of things in a lot of different ways. But if I were to try to summarize up how the Holy Spirit works in the book of Luke and in the book of Acts, I would say kind of what we said in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit is God's creative and empowering force that blesses His people and accomplishes His work. Now, how God how the Spirit of God works in different times and different places changes. How He worked during the period of the Judges in the Old Testament is far different from how He worked during the early stages of the church in the book of Acts. And how the apostles worked from the Spirit versus what the Spirit does now is, is, is different. But it's still the same Spirit. The one Spirit is still around and still working today. So as we draw our lesson to a close and make application to us in our life, the same Spirit, the same Spirit that was in the Old Testament at the beginning of creation, the same Spirit that empowered great men of old like, like Samson or David or others, that same Spirit was there in John the Baptist. That same Spirit was with Jesus. That same Spirit was with the apostles, and that same Spirit is still made available today. He's not going to do the exact same things, no. But the same Spirit is still available. That's what Peter says in Acts chapter 2 when he says, Repent and be baptized, each and every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the icing on the cake. That's the, the final motivation. The crowd there saw the Spirit come. The Spirit was evidence of God's favor. Peter says, you come and get baptized, your sins will be washed away, and you too will have the favor and blessing of God. That same Spirit that has always been a sign, a symbol, a statement of God's blessing is still made available today. So if you're here today, and you've never been baptized in the Jesus Christ, you're missing out. We get to have our sins washed away. We get to be sealed with the Spirit. I don't know how all that works and what that consists of, but I do know that it means I'm blessed by God and that one day I'm going to get to raise with Him. That's pretty awesome. If you don't have that, you're missing out this morning. In fact, we're going to even sing an invitation song here in a moment. We always, as our custom is, leave these front rows open. If you're here and you're ready to be baptized in the Christ, we can do that this morning. We like doing that. That's a lot of fun. We like seeing sins washed away and people being blessed by God. We like seeing new souls being added to the Lord's church. At the same time, though, if you're here and, you're, and you already are a Christian, understand that you are a blessed people. Although I know sometimes we, we think, wouldn't it be cool if I could do what the apostles did? Wouldn't it be neat if I could have the power of a Samson or, or the ability of the Jesus? Oh, of course it would. But that doesn't mean that we are any less blessed. It doesn't mean that we are any less empowered. It doesn't mean that we are any less a child of God. We still receive 
the same Spirit. Now, I know that raises a whole lot of questions. I know everybody's mind right now is going to, well, what, what does the Spirit do for the Christian today? You're going to have to wait for that lesson. Two weeks, we're going to continue with our series on the Holy Spirit Explained, and we're going to talk more about what the Holy Spirit does in the lives of Christians like you and me, and that's kind of the rest of the New Testament. But you'll have to wait for that one, but be here in two weeks for that lesson. But if you're here this morning, and you're not a Christian, and you want to partake of that same Spirit, you want to be blessed by God, you want to have your sins washed away, we're here to help you. If you've strayed away, and you need the prayers of this church, let us pray for you. Why don't you come as we sing together? Let's all stand.